Welcome to The Art of Growth, where we use the Enneagram and the best tools we can find to help individuals and organizations transform. My name is Jim Zartman, and today, all right, this is one of my favorites in a while, I gotta say. So Joel Hubbard and I are both here, as well as Suzanne York and Hillary Kay from Hillary Kay Coaching, who we are going to introduce you to because she's awesome and we're going to be doing some work together. And I love this conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and also belonging and burnout, and how all of these things are working together. But before we get into that, the hub of all of our work is theartofgrowth.org. And if you would like to have us do some of this training and coaching within your organization, please reach out to us. We feel so fortunate and are very passionate about bringing an understanding of self-mastery and belonging through the Enneagram to organizations. And we've already worked with global brands around this. And perhaps it would be of help and service to your organization. So reach out to us, connect with us, connect us with the right people, and we can begin a conversation around that. But for now, let's go ahead and jump in the room with the four of us. Welcome. I am Jim Zarman. I'm Joel Hubbard. I'm Suzanne York. And I'm Hillary Kay. Yes, Hillary Kay from Hillary Kay Coaching is joining us. We met her through Suzanne. Suzanne introduced her to us. She's an Enneagram coach and has some area of expertise in some of the stuff we're chatting about today. So she's hanging out with us. We're going to be doing some work together. And so we're starting off by like doing our first podcast together, hanging out in the studio up here north of Boston and having our first chat about this. So we are talking about some burnout stuff, some belonging mm. stuff. We've got mm. we've got some stuff that's been on our hearts and is important to all of us that seems to be being tapped into in corporate culture and uh, in a wider so we're like, oh, this is a good time to chat about this. And this kind of formed very organically because we were just talking yeah. about how we were just riffing on stuff and yeah. just having a conversation. <laughs> what are we going to do a podcast about? And uh, Yeah. And it's like we yeah. never have a real plan. So we started with <laughs> – well, that stresses me I should say out. The two of us here never have a real plan. <laughs> the other two, you do. There's always a direction. Yeah. But I was talking about how uh, on vacation I had this sort of moment where suddenly a lot of pieces came together and I wrote stuff down on belonging. And that felt very real to me, like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing some things that are making sense to me as to what are the components to belonging. Mm -hmm. So I shared that and there was some traction to that. We were talking about it. And then you and I, Hillary, we were chatting and you said, hey, I read this, this article. You won't believe it. <laughs> and then you, so tell me about this, this article. Yeah, we were chatting the night before and we had, you know, we were having these great conversations and the next morning I pull up, you know, my LinkedIn feed, going through LinkedIn feed and it has an article from Forbes on burnout. So obviously as a burnout coach, I opened the article, see what Forbes has to say. And belonging <laughs> was one of the five ways that they said that corporate America could help reduce burnout in teams. And I was like, this is is crazy, you know, please inform me, Forbes, how can belonging help? Because I've always had this idea of, you know, the ways you can avoid 
burnout. And, you know, I address the mental, physical, emotional exhaustion, which is, you know, head, heart, body Mm -hmm. um, exhaustion. And I had never, it had never dawned on me that belonging was part of that. And so it was really fascinating. And that that's kind of what kicked off this whole. Well, and that, <laughs> but, but to your point, like you're a coach who this is what you you work with is burnout. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you and I had had we, we'd all had this conversation about your work. What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and randomly, I, you know, talking about belonging and what was inspiring to me about that. But separate, completely, totally different conversation. The mm-hmm. two were not related And we didn't think they were related. (laughs) Like, that was what the crazy thing was, is we didn't think they were related. Yeah. But they definitely are. At least not consciously. At least we hadn't named it yet, right? Right, right. And I think it does. I mean, now, as we've had discussions, you know, a few discussions over the past couple of days, the, the belonging is definitely that emotional exhaustion. That if you don't feel like you belong in a company or an organization that's going to wear on you emotionally and you're you're having to use that emotional muscle. You're absolutely hitting on something important and the language within corporations is catching up with this idea too. We've seen the evolution of diversity and inclusion go from diversity DNI to diversity equity and inclusion and now we're hearing diversity equity inclusion and belonging mm. as a recognition that just bringing in diverse voices and making sure they're all heard isn't enough to truly get to the employee experience that people are craving and asking for. Hmm. When did you start to see that, Suzanne? Because you've been in this for a long time. You've been doing this sort of work. Within the last year. So more specifically, Hmm. I've been working with um, my son's school, which is a day school, and they have been really keen on advancing the diversity conversation within the community that he, where he goes. And he's in pre-K, and the school goes to eighth grade. So we've been working with a, an organization that helps institutions do that, and they brought forward this conversation around belonging. So they added mm-hmm. the DEIB to what we had previously okay. been proud to say we were in, involved with DEI. Right. And then when they added the B, what I was so impressed with that was that, to me, it did fill in some really critical components of my own experience that had been missing. But more importantly, Mm. it also shows that we're willing to continually evolve these conversations as we learn more about the human experience. Mm. And that was the missing piece was the belonging piece. Yeah. People want to be included. Uh, We want them to be included because we want to feel included. Well, what are we aiming at? What do we point at? What's, What's the real core to that? And it's the sense of we all want to belong. Yeah, without a doubt. And until maybe we had these conversations, I would have used included and belong interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the more I've thought about it is, no, on the outside, someone can look like they're included, yeah. but not feel yeah. like they belong. That's really well said. This is a theologian scholar uh, from Yale, Miroslav Volf, and he wrote this massive work called Exclusion and Embrace. And this deals with this whole issue of diversity and how do you welcome or include people. And he described it as, yeah, you can include people. People can get to a certain point and you can either exclude them, you can try to assimilate them, force them to become like you. There's all sorts of ways that cultures do this. But the issue of embrace is that's the that's the closer piece. That's the I can accept you as you are without trying to change you. 
and embrace you. And to me, that really gets at that. You can't just include people and hold them at a distance emotionally. Like there has to be Mm. a sense at which you belong even at the, the heart level. Like I care about you. I see you. I feel seen. I feel cared for in this environment. And I think that gets closer. It feels to me like that gets much closer to the belonging piece. There's a sense of home in the word belonging that isn't necessarily there that's included. Like I can Mm -hmm. be included in a crowd, but Mm -hmm. I belong at home. There's a, a lot more of an intimacy to it. There's a lot more of the whole of me is welcomed. Mm. Not just like an aspect, which is something I think we're waking up to, is that this idea that the whole of me can actually be welcomed. Mm. Yeah. And there's also an individual inner conversation to, to have with that as well. So I believe that the belonging work is individual, collective, and daily. Mm. You don't ever achieve belonging and then check the box and you're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's work to do on the inside as well as collectively together. So what I mean by that is you could create an environment where people have the opportunity to belong. Mm -hmm. You've done all the right things to include the voices. You've brought that heart-centered, intimate connection that's also safe within corporate environments um, or any any community. It doesn't matter if it's work-related or otherwise. So you've got the makings of it, but inside— If there's some disconnect internally, that belonging piece feels missing. Mm. And I don't know that all types would relate to this or resonate with this. And so this could could be personal to my own experience. It could be something more type-related. But I, I recognize in my story, in my past, moments where I was in a situation where I could have felt like I belonged, but I did not feel like I belonged. So that's what I was going to ask is, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask, whose responsibility is it to create this this belonging, the sense of belonging? It's it's all parties, including the inner work. Yeah. Like Before I had done a lot of inner work, I was never going to belong because I, there was just this disconnect internally for me. Mm-hmm. And when I started working with a coach probably seven or eight years ago, she said, well, we're going to work for you to be your own best friend. And I was like, oh, that's not happening. Mm, my mm. inner monologue was so bad mm. that I didn't even belong with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the terminology she, she used, though, that you're going to be your own best friend. Yeah. Because I think about, at least for me, the relationships that are my closest ones are the ones I have to dial up the least amount of energy in order to belong in those environments, mm-hmm. to feel safe and comfortable in those environments. And how I've talked to friends who are whether it's a different ethnic background or a different cultural background or they move from in a totally different part of the country or whatever that is, where they have talked to me about the energy required in order to be able to like show up and be there for the day. There is like yeah. an extra dose that other people aren't experiencing. So yeah. like the energy cost is actually higher to them mm-hmm. because they're having to do all these little adaptations so that they feel okay in the environment. Mm. And is that environmental versus inner? So I do think it's a combination. Oh, totally. That's a great point. It's that combination of that, the environment and the the internal experience. Yeah. And I think this is a great example of when I'm coaching people either by themselves or in a team, we start with empathy for self first. 
Because if you don't start with connection with yourself and being really confident and secure in that connection with yourself, you're not going to be able to effectively do that with other people. You have to learn how to like work or massage that empathy muscle. And it's best to start with that in yourself before you do it with others. And I think that's the same thing with belonging to your point, mm. Susie, is is that it really does start with that internal work. And, you know, to your point, Joel, who whose responsibility is it mm. to even, you know, maybe some people don't even realize they need that inner work, right? They're searching for belonging and they think it's because their leader isn't inclusive mm-hmm. or their team just doesn't like them, but they haven't been shown or exposed to maybe the work starts with me and maybe I need to be my own best friend first yeah. before I can belong. Yeah, because what I like about this because some of the discussions around in- inclusion, for instance, it has put all of the impetus on like, this group here needing to welcome in people. So it's had a a systemic structural awareness, but it hasn't necessarily always included the personal responsibility awareness. And so what I like about what you all are saying is that you're you're combining the need for the personal responsibility. Like I need to own who I am in the space, the atmosphere I bring to the room, the energy I bring to the room, my own sense of Awareness and the environment also needs to be sensitive to who I am. I mean, this is like so much of what we do, right? When we go into organizations is like, hey, these other Enneagram types, they think differently than you. And people experience more empathy for those types, more of a welcome for that. So it is like the energy that flows in both directions is really where you get that sense. And there was a lot of work that needed to be done in the environment. And so For I feel sure. like we that was a great starting point, and yes. we are now in the the momentum is there for us now to add that personal responsibility. This is a strange thing, though, because it's like the chicken or the egg, right? Because you mm. have a system. A system is made up of a lot of individuals who are sharing some similar, thre- you know, there's like a thread that's kind of woven through that. If you don't, don't accept yourself, you're not going to accept other people. So what if you have a bunch of people at the top who just have a hard time accepting fully themselves? What are they going to do with other people? They're not going to be inclusive of other people. They're not going to be welcoming to other people. I mean, what is in the system is also in me, and what's in me is also in the system. And so, (laughs) you know, I can see it in myself. I can see the the parts of me that I don't like. And then when someone else shows up and somehow represents that or sets that off inside me, I have such a reaction to that. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be curious how many leaders— or anybody, it doesn't need to be a leader, how many people are even aware whether or not they accept themselves? Oh, yeah, that's a huge question. That is a big question. I mean, that brings me to one of the quotes I highlighted in this article that we have been talking about, and it's in reference to it actually, they're saying it starts with leadership and that Mm. the leaders, they kind of are required to start carrying that emotional labor is what they called it. in here was emotional labor. And so we have to start by supporting the leaders and this emotional labor that they're starting to carry for them to maybe be the ones that address their teams to say, hey, you might need to have some internal work. I understand you want belonging, right, within this team. We're doing the best we can. Now here, let's explore this more. 
right? Opening up the conversation, but the wait starts with, unfortunately, in my opinion, with the, with the leader, right? Because some people aren't often aware that they need to take that personal responsibility. You know, by definition, the person who's in leadership does have a greater impact on how the employees experience their work environment. So, you know, someone in leadership has the ability to actually influence and create a different environment, a different atmosphere. And so, again, it's back to both are necessary. Like Mm -hmm. the environment shifts. Do you as an individual, do you as an employee have the capacity to be receptive to that? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I do see that there is a, a more welcoming, there's a more inclusive environment. How do I actually take that into myself rather than keep the fight going or trying to keep that this is the way I want to belong. And I would love to, at some point in this conversation, even get to that. Like, what is that? Yeah. What does belonging look like for each of us? I'm thinking about something you said, which was the environment shifts because individual shifts. But then individuals need to feel like it's safe for them to shift. And so they look for the environment <laughs> to shift yes, first. Yes. And so I'm, I'm caught with you in that no, cycle. No, it's such a great – and well, I think it brings it back to this whole thing of, you know, the work and the transformational work. It's a societal change. It's that, you know, we individuals overplay sometimes the individuality. Like I'm not an island. I'm deeply affected by other people. People are deeply affected by other people. So to the degree that – you start to change and then another person changes and then that change affects you. And so then you change. And it's, I mean, it's, it's all very interconnected. It's the word you said earlier that I think is the key is influence, mm. right? Leaders have sometimes the influence to change. So who do we need to be talking to the, to the people who have most influence first? Or maybe there is one person in the team that's not a leader, but they want this to happen. They feel the need for belonging. They see that there is not this sense of belonging in their team, but do they have the influence mm. to make a change? And I think that maybe that's mm-hmm. why the emotional, <laughs> you know, burden is on the leader is because they're actually the ones with mm. influence. So I'm wondering, as we were talking about this, some of the best way of the future is building on the past. And, and Susie, you've been a part of this conversation for probably the longest in corporate America of any of us. Like, what do you think have been the best things that you've actually seen happen or best things that, that could give us maybe some indication towards mm. the future of this? Well, first is that we're talking about this in corporate America. Mm. I mean, I remember in 2018, mindfulness Came mm-hmm. in, right around Christmas, the New Year, mindfulness was really big everywhere. It was almost yeah. like it had hit, you know, mass conversation. Mm. And in corporate, they were like, what is that? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that was only five years ago. That's crazy. And so the the skyrocketing growth that I'm seeing within corporations to be willing to even have this conversation. And I do think the pandemic, a gift of the pandemic was that Nobody had any answer. When we were in the thick of everything and everybody went home, the playing field got leveled. And now we really did need to understand what does it mean to include these voices? What does it mean to help people stay connected when we are away from one another? And that is starting to evolve towards this belonging as we bring each other back into the office and the workplace. Mm. And so I think the next evolution, really, Hillary, you said it was, can we start to notice whether or not we have an environment of belonging. Yeah. How would a leader know? And I'm posing this half with an answer, but more so as a question for mm. all of us to banter with. How would a leader know if belonging is there or is not when it's a really personal 
assessment. Okay, Do we, you think that then the reason why we're the that organizations are putting belonging in there, it's not because they actually know how to do it or they know what that entirely looks like, but there's sort of a sense that at which this is becoming a thing we're intimating, we're picking up on, we're perceiving, we're seeing, and this is making sense of what a lot of people's experience is related to the workplace. Also, why so many people have left the workplace and are not returning. It's mm -hmm. because of the environment, because they don't feel like it's a positive work environment. They're not yeah. feeling supported. They're not feeling like, you know, they, that they belong. So, yeah. you know, why am I going to work so many hours in a place that I don't feel like I connect to? Or I'm, I, don't, I don't feel like I belong to. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a number of things you said in there that I think are apply. One, I do think generations coming up have a different expectation of the workforce. Mm. So we talk about in the employee value proposition. This is an integration of their life, whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was work and life were two separate conversations. We, yeah. That's no longer the case. So we are being called to by these next generations to create environments that that do include this idea of belonging. I also think we're happening on the problem without yet knowing how to solve it. And so belonging mm. feels like something worth exploring in an effort to solve this problem that we're still even trying to articulate. Yeah. Well, you, you said it too, because like, is is belonging a, a feeling? Like, I, came to mind when you were saying that. But something else that you said I want to play on and get everyone's thoughts on, because you mentioned about the pandemic leveling the playing field in certain ways. And it made me think of, of Hillary's talking about influence. And what came to mind is this psychological thing about structures. They say something about how to behave in the environment. So you go into a classroom setting and it's all the chairs pointed in one direction towards like a stage where there's like a podium and you have a presenter and the physical environment says, everyone be quiet and listen to this person who's at the front. You know, you're in a certain office building. Well, that person has the corner office with the big desk. And so you walk into this imposing environment. And so like influence, all of these things are amplified. And when the pandemic is there, it's like everybody's face is the same size on a screen. And it changed the physical environment and people are at home. They're in their environment. And so I wonder how many of these things actually influenced. I do think it actually made a power shift. I think it pulled at some of the strength of some of the hierarchies, at, at least the dominance hierarchies, maybe not so much the growth hierarchies where that influence takes place, but the dominance hierarchies. So I'm, I'm wondering about all of these pieces. I have no answers, but I'm just like pointing out what I'm hearing and drawing yeah. together. Well, and I think that's a great point, too. Like, you look at Gen Zs coming into the workplace, their first experience with corporate culture was on Zoom with that even playing field, huh. with that, oh, we're going to do all these virtual happy hours that never happened before the pandemic. Mm. I feel like there had been so many more like, oh, we do, we need to do all these, you know, team building activities because we're not in the office. And to, to help rally, to help belong, to help, you know, become a team. And now that we're transitioning out of the pandemic, these Gen Zers are getting, you know, what does hybrid work look like? What does, oh, no, I'm not a fully remote employee anymore. Where's that sense of belonging I felt at home behind a screen? Mm. Yeah, very true. And interesting, in the article that we've been talking about, the Forbes article, the generation with the reporting the most burnout 
in their survey was Gen Z. Yeah. So 84% of Gen Zs report burnout, 74% of millennials, and it goes down from there with the other generations. So companies are now contending with so many dynamics, including the workforce coming in is, quote unquote, already burned out. Yeah. When I remember hearing about burnout years ago, it was sort of left for people who, it was almost, a, it was negative to say, yeah, yeah. oh, you're burnt out. Yeah. Oh, you didn't do what you needed to not burn out. Yeah. It's yeah. a sign of failure. Maybe that's a three thing. Failure, weakness. Exactly. Yep. Burnout was a sign of weakness. Yep. But the pervasiveness of burnout has completely shifted that. And it's making it a requirement that we start to address it yeah. holistically. On a practical level, you can't do the thing that uh, many other generations have done, which is like, well, they're just they're just too fragile. Yeah. You know, they're they've been coddled. And and certainly I can see some of that. Sure, absolutely. But that's not the whole story. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and that's overplayed. And so people in leadership don't have the from a pragmatic standpoint, don't have the luxury to just go dismiss it because it's a real thing that's happening. Right. Regardless of what you think, it's happening. And so we have to figure out how to solve this. And there is a generational impact on that because you see this with the from World War II to Vietnam to Desert, like how they talked about PTSD when people came home. And like World War II didn't really talk about it. And then it's really started causing problems after Vietnam. So they started to address it. But now it's like a regular part of the conversation. So it was kind of like there's a lot of stuff that I couldn't ever get my grandpa who was in World War II to talk about. Because it was like, no, no, you just stuff that stuff. Because if I talk about it, this stuff's going to come up. And so I think there's less and less like just kind of stuffing some of that, which is was my question. You know, like I think burnout has honestly become a marketing term. The Gen Zs are using burnout as as the term, right? And really, burnout doesn't happen overnight. It starts with stress, then it goes to overwhelm, and then burnout. And so if we are, I think Gen Z is getting so used to, because we're seeing all these articles Mm. on burnout, that that's their, that's the term they know to use, which are, and this is what I talk about a lot in my coaching is your words have power. Yeah. So if you're saying you're burnt out, are you really burnt out? Or are you just stressed? Or are you overwhelmed, Mm. right? And understanding the difference in that. And I think that's why a lot of maybe the other, you know, the older generations are kind of rolling their eyes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because their definition of burnout is completely different than the definition of burnout from the Gen Zs or even the millennials. Um, They're seeing it as suck it up. You're being a baby, oh, yeah. <laughs> sure, right. you know, but maybe it's just because, you know, we're just using this marketing terminology. Well, there is, I mean, th- there's so much we could talk about here. I mean, yeah. you talk about grit, your ability to stick through things and follow through things. Those are all things that are important qualities to learn, to develop, to, yeah. you know, to some degree and to and to keep growing in the aspects where you recognize, yeah, I'm I'm being... I'm using this as an excuse to not face certain responsibilities I don't want to face. And I think that's true. But the problem of whatever we want to describe burnout to be, even if people are in stress or in overwhelm before they hit burnout, there's still a problem that is happening that has to do with the sense of belonging that I think is finally we're talking about and addressing it. And the question is, okay, How do you feel that sense of belonging, you as an individual? I think that's a worthwhile conversation. 
because that informs even leadership how to think about what belonging looks like from nine different types. And then I think secondly, it's how do we create an environment of belonging? How do we move towards that? And we're not proposing that we have all the answers. We're just saying we have to have that conversation and we have to stumble and we have to make mistakes and we have to be willing that this podcast in a year from now, we'll look back and go, wow, we had no idea what we were talking about. (laughs) And that's okay because that's part of how we learn and how we grow. So thoughts on that. Yeah. Some things that came up for me, Joel, when you were saying that is, you know, how do we internally feel a sense of belonging? And this is, from my perspective, I can't say whether it's a general experience, but when I did not feel aligned to what I was doing and who I was doing it with, mm. whether you say purpose, what I was doing and who I was doing it with did not align to my internal desire or my purpose. Mm. Um, And that is such a lofty phrase because a lot of people might say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. All I knew before was when I was not in alignment. And so that's an indication to me that if I don't feel this internal sense of calm or this internal alignment, then I'm going to look externally for everyone else to tell me I belong. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I did that. I've done that with you. Um, I've done that in corporations where when I didn't feel aligned however you want to define that to a purpose, to what I felt like I wanted to do, meant to do, then I was seeking that validation and never getting it externally. Mm. And once I started to shift to, well, who am I? And this, I'm sure this is a bit of a three journey because you lose yourself along the way. When I turned my exploration inward and started to get more clear, it almost didn't matter anymore the feedback that I got if it didn't match because I could recognize that it, they were just different perspectives. Mm. But before, the feedback was so intertwined personal. and yeah. so personal, and yeah. it carried so much weight. And I needed to be right, and I needed everyone else to validate that I was right for me to feel like I belong. Yeah. And that doesn't come up for me nearly as much as it used to. Yeah. Because I just don't need to be right anymore because I feel way more aligned internally. Wow. Yeah. And when I'm That's not amazing. fighting to be right— yeah. I think the experience that I bring is much better for other people. Because that's the individual that you're describing. That We just said like the two sort of categories of there's the individual yeah. or internal sense of belonging. And then there's also the yes. sort of external or systemic sense that, that can be created. Do you find yourself when you've done, as you were doing that work and growing and that, that you had the capacity to also receive from the external, the positive things that were... Uh, coming in, uh, yeah, I think in that's a, a great point. Feeling like that's a like like I have a landing space for that now because before I might have heard affirmations and I might have been so desperate to get that yeah. approval, but as I got it, it just kind of goes through the system very quickly, and yeah. I need more. Well, what would happen before is you could tell me nine things I had done well and one thing one I didn't. thing you did wrong, and yeah. that's it. That's all you would remember. It, all yeah. I would remember, and yeah. now I you know I get the same feedback, and it's not that it doesn't matter, but it. It's nice to hear the good stuff, yeah. but I'm not as attached to needing it. Interesting, yeah. And so there is a yeah. sense of detachment. And so yeah. I, it's funny, I, the more detached I am to what the outside world gives me, the more I belong in that outside world. That is, oh. that is so, <laughs> that's the mic drop right there, right? <laughs> that is so good. That yeah, is, I, oh. and I just realized that. That's when did that, I mean, because you've been doing the work for a bit oh, here. It feels like a while. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a while. Yeah, I, I think it's, <laughs> what's been happening is I'm in the same situations, but yeah. my inner experiences are so different that I'm like, huh, 
what's different here? And I also see that I have less of a tolerance for situations that are not equipped for me to be who I am. And so I've been getting myself out of those situations faster. Quicker. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So good. Oh, it's such a fascinating thing because what you demonstrated there and explained there is that heart type of that externalization. Like, how do I belong here? Yeah. And I'll be curious for head types, but the body type was just kind of like, oh, for me, if the environment didn't feel like I belonged, I would just be like, well, I belong to myself, so I'll just need to change the environment. <laughs> I just need to go somewhere else. I need to get out of here from these and go over here. And it's funny because for me, when I started including more external voices and allowed them to have voice in my life, I could have a better sense of belonging anywhere. So, like, it's so funny. It's like the amazing, the opposite end of the exact same spectrum. Yes. That's why I love the Enneagram. Keep going. Well, because I've told this to threes that I was coaching. I was just like, because sometimes they they would resent that need for the external validation, right? And I was like, it's not about dismissing the external validation and just including the internal. It's about the inclusion of the internal and the external. Because for me, that's what I've had to learn. I'm going to have the internal validation. I'm fine. But it's like, I have to welcome the external. I have to welcome that. And like, this is why I say, like, I quote Susie to myself sometimes, because I'm just like, including that voice, like expands who I am. Yes. That makes a lot of sense because the individual, you can contract on the individual and the individual can get tighter and smaller. If you have others in there, other voices, it expands. In your case, as a hard type, it expands so far that sometimes you lose the individual. As I was listening to Susie and as a fellow three, you know, I said, well, that her sense of belonging and what I have felt as my experience as a sense of belonging really plays on my core fear. And so I wonder (laughs) if we look at, you know, the fears and the motivations of the types and look at, can that give us insight to how they would feel like they belong Mm. based on what their core fear is or what motivates them in the workplace. Because what I heard is, and what I've experienced is, yes, someone could tell me 10 things I did something right, but that one thing that I did wrong, that was failure. And I don't belong here. I'm a failure. Mm. And and it was my core fear. And so as we do the inner work (laughs) and we don't let that fear control us anymore. That's when I think I've noticed in myself personally that when that fear has kind of subsided, that I'm not being as controlled by my fear, that's when I feel like I belong. I would imagine that would be true for all nine types, that all all of us, if we um, deal with the part that is the most repressed or that is the core need that's either being over, you know, you're trying to overdo it with that core need or you're trying to correct that core need, whatever it is that you're doing, you're sort of in that place of fighting against yourself. And I don't think that that helps to get that place of belonging. But yeah, I think dealing with the core motivation, that makes a lot of sense to me. I also think that there's a factor of what is your contribution as as a type? What do you feel your contribution is to the world? And if the world receives that contribution, there's a sense of meaning, there's a sense of belonging. I know I feel that deeply. So when I do something and others go, thank you, that was meaningful to me, that helped me so much. I do have that sense of like, okay, my contribution belongs in this world. Totally. Because you know what that feels like when <laughs> when you're contributing something and it is not being received at the workplace and you can't, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm having reactions by the threes here. <laughs> Susie, I mean, you, talk. You're, you're hitting it. You're, and that I had messy words before when I was like purpose because that sounds so grandiose, but contribution hmm. because people want to contribute to something greater than themselves. But if their contributions are not being seen or hmm. valued hmm. or heard, then it does feel like I don't belong here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Like your contribution, when your contribution is welcomed, you feel more welcomed because you are in, so invested in it. So that that makes a ton of sense. But I think there's like the welcoming of the contribution uh, and the person. Because like as we're going through these different belonging and all this stuff like that, we have this diversity piece. We have seen teams where they are culturally diverse, racially diverse, but they are not like type diverse. You know, they really kind of clump around certain centers or certain values or certain types. And so there's like including the contribution of something that is so other than you, like learning to welcome that is such a game changer. Yeah, yeah that's huge. Yeah. There's so much you said there. And I, I'm thinking, yeah, you can't. I don't know that you can totally separate out your contribution from yourself, from your identity. I know threes can't. Yeah, I, don't, I can't either. <laughs> but I don't think oh, that. Really? I, That's I don't good think to hear. that. No, I can't. No, because I mean, I think if you do too much, it's because you've, you're not really living from your, your soul. You're not living in that wholehearted way of this is my truth. This is what I'm putting out as the thing that's most vulnerable to me, most precious to me. It's the thing that I love. And it's the thing that I want to put out into the world. When you live from that space, that's terrifying because it's fine if I work in a place and I've, I've seen this happen to so many of us. I had this conversation years ago with a, with a board member who said, why do you think we never really shoot for the stars? Why do you think we never really put ourselves out there? Like in the, in the sense of like, this is what I really feel passionate about. This is really my, the truth of who I am. He was self-reflective and he's a very successful guy. And he says, I can see how many ways I have not really put myself out there. And it came back to fear. If I do and it fails, then what? If the pretend me, if the masked me, if the persona me fails, well, at least, <laughs> yeah. you know, I wasn't trying. I wasn't really trying, you know. It wasn't the real me. It, it wasn't the real me, yeah. right. But, oh man, that's the, it's a moment when I realized that in my own life. This is core to who I am, and I'm about to put that out into the world, and will it be received? Yeah. That's well, terrifying. And contribution being tied to meaning to go to the point that that is absolutely every type. So there is good data on that. They did a psychological testing where they paid one group to do this manual labor that actually made a difference. And I don't remember what it was, but it was like they were digging something or doing something, but it served a purpose. And to the other group, they just had them dig and then refill it in yeah. the next day. And they just had them doing that over and over again. And they paid them like double what they paid the people doing meaningful work. But they were so frustrated and depressed and all of these like psychological things that came because there was no meaning to what they were doing. This is actually one of the ways they used to torture yeah. in the um, concentration journey. camps. Yep. They would just move rocks from one yep, side of the yard to the, the other. other. Yeah. Every single day. So we all like, if we do not have a meaningful contribution in what we're doing, we all have no sense of belonging and we all burn out because we're like, I am sick to death. I cannot do this meaningless thing. Well, and in this article, it talks about meaning first, then belonging. Meaning is the number one way, then belonging. Uh, yeah. And that's where the meaning to me and the contribution kind of play off of each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Huh. Fascinating. So I see a few components to belonging. Contribution was one of them. The mm -hmm. ability, like you mentioned, Hillary, of are you 
working on that core need, you know, and aware of what's happening there. And, and as you so amazingly put, Susie was just, just deep, deep insight there is like what happened to you when you began doing the work and how belonging started happening more naturally. It's like the byproduct. I, I really believe that. I think belonging is a byproduct. It's not something you can actually chase oh. or make happen. Oh, I love that. It's a, it's a byproduct of everything else that you're doing right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And because we've seen that happen in, in groups. So I was thinking of a couple moments where I've witnessed like the manager and the employee and they all of a sudden they see each other in a different light because they see their types and they're like, that's how you think? That's what's, oh my goodness. And they have so much more compassion because it's like, oh, that's what it's like to be you. Mm. When I see what it's actually like to be you, I, immediately my heart goes out to them. When I don't see what it's like to be them, I'm judging them according to me. This is the moralizing of our type that we talk about. Like, this is what we do. Mm. But once we actually see what the other's perspective and experience is, it's like we have so much more empathy for that. And then, yes, belonging is going to be a byproduct of seeing each other as people and seeing the contribution of the other. So once again, we're like, these, these are two-way streets that have to flow together. It's the personal responsibility right? The who I am and being aware of the person I bring into the context. And it is the context that is there. And it's being welcomed for the contribution and the actual person who is present before me. When we get these combinations, then all of a sudden, belonging becomes a natural byproduct hmm. of what we're trying to achieve. So I have a question for Hillary. In your work with burnout, you've done a lot of work with burnout with corporate clients and uh, oftentimes CEOs, I imagine, who are at that point of burnout. That's pro probably predominantly your work, right? So when you saw this connection with belonging, what sort of dropped for you like as, oh, that, that answers a lot of things for me or that, that gives language to something? Did you see that happen like? Oh, that's what I've been doing. I'm trying to help people belong. And and this just named it. That's what that's what this article did. I think that's exactly what I do when I'm coming into teams who are burnt out. I'm helping them, yes, belong, understand each other, right? And when we understand each other, we feel that sense of belonging. And I think what's interesting, and I don't know if I even put the pieces together until just now is, you know, when I'm working with business owners, right? It's not that they're a CEO of a company, but I'm working with business owners who their business is their baby. Yeah. Right. And that's honestly the majority of my clients is business yeah. owners. And so where their business is their life. Hmm. I mean, they've started it from the ground up. And I think when business owners start their business, it relates back to that purpose, right? They're starting this business because they feel like it's their purpose. So they're going to go pedal to the metal, mm -hmm. right? Their high achiever state of mind ends up going into overachiever mm -hmm. <laughs> mentality that then leads into burnout, which makes them lose their purpose, mm -hmm. makes them lose their sense of belonging in their life, like the belonging to themselves. Yeah. Well, because then they First. lose themselves in yes, they, because exactly. they are now owned by the thing they started. Absolutely. And yeah. so a lot of times with business owners, as I'm working with them through burnout, I'm working with them 
to refine their purpose in their mm-hmm. life, to refine the meaning. Like, why did you start this business? Yeah. And then as that is illuminated, they make one of two decisions. Oh, yes, I feel like I belong here again. Hmm. Or nope, this isn't my purpose anymore. I don't belong here. I belong somewhere else. That's the inner work for them, mm-hmm. right? Mm. And then we also mentioned the sort of, you know, we've been going back and forth between that, the inner work, and then the the work of the of leaders as they establish more of a context, perhaps, of of belonging and the ability to recognize the different contributions from all nine types and to welcome that into the workplace, to celebrate that. Yeah. What about support and the sense of being with or together uh, with people? To me, that, that's been, for me personally, that's been helpful to get to that sense of, because I'm not naturally that way. So I'm not naturally a person that's like, oh, I want to have this sort of like, we're doing this together. I like people around me. Oh yeah. I like like, you know, that part of the work, but the actual ability to kind of go, I have an agenda as a seven and can I relax the agenda and just be here with people? And when I do, there's a sense of also deeper sense of belonging that together that with kind of, kind of energy. And that may just be more of a type specific thing, but that's been something I've been also reflecting on. And the way that I hear that or think about it in my own terms is we're all preoccupied with something that makes it hard for us to be in the moment and fully mm-hmm. present. Mm-hmm. If you can let go of that preoccupation, in your words, it was an agenda. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can. my preoccupations are very tied by the three. Am I doing enough? Are we being effective mm. enough, efficient enough? Enough is like <laughs> my enough, preoccupation yeah. is that. If I can let go of that, then yes, I That's can be more really fully present helpful. with everyone else. That's very helpful language. Well, if you're letting go of that mm. enough language... That's the, that's what is being released. What is being held? What are you being present to? Everything else that I was missing. It's actually what becomes apparent to me is that it already was enough. Oh. Before I even added on to it the pressure to be this undefined definition of enough. Yeah. Like it already is. You know, the definition of disappointment is the difference between expectations and reality. So if I let go of my preoccupation with enough and I see what's happening, it's already enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it gets to like the practice of belonging. Like practicing belonging is, I don't need to fight this. I don't need to try. I don't need to. Yes. Yes. Yep. It's spot on. And and what's coming up for me is that now I think about it, do we have the luxury of this inside of corporations with high expectations for achievement and goals and productivity and performance and, and I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think what has come from the pandemic is probably a lot of us wanting more of this, yeah. you know, being present to the moment and seeing things that emerge that I wasn't noticing before. But then I think about all the expectations that either I have or my corporation has for me to achieve. Do I have this luxury? Yeah. Or is that what we're asking of each other in the workplace? But don't you find that, though— and I think I know what you're going to say, but don't you think like the act, there's a difference between high levels of activity and real productivity? Oh, 100%. 100%. Busyness, <laughs> busyness versus like, productivity. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's well, like corporate you, you America is a lot of that. It's like a lot yeah. of busyness and activity. But, you know, belonging helps you to get to that, I think, that sense yeah. of like, oh, we belong. And so, so creativity is released. Mm-hmm. And 
a sense of of relaxing, which opens up your mind and opens yeah. up your capacities at a higher level. Yep. Yeah. And how do you measure that? That's what comes up in corporate. Yeah, how do you measure yeah. it? Right. I do think that there will be a large amount of companies now that will see some of these things as luxury, but these things that are luxury will become necessity, just like other things have. Like rewind 50 years, how much was emotional intelligence a factor in the workplace? Not a lot. Nope. It wasn't even a, a luxury. It was like, I don't know what it a was. A distraction. Really weird. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but this is not helping us. But what was once uh, unnecessary will become absolutely necessary. If you are going to stay competitive, if you're going to attract young talent, if you're going to, you know, all of these things that people actually want, this will be a necessary component. It will be like, was there a time that this was not a factor? I, that's just where it's going. And so what we're trying to do is be on the forefront of helping people be there now so that they're not having to catch up and pay back later because there should be FOMO on this. Like if people are not doing this, if they're not having this conversation, if you are not bringing this into your organization now, you are going into debt of some kind and the bill will come due on the lack of emotional intelligence, the lack of paying attention to diversity and inclusion, the lack of belonging and giving people that sense, that bill will come due. So like, let's have the conversation now so we aren't having to pay for this later. So thank you so much for listening. If you feel like this is important to you and you need to continue learning about this or continue this conversation with us, reach out to us at theartofgrowth.org. And let's start a conversation about how we can bring this understanding, this learning, this wisdom, and this experience, really, to your organization. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss anything. And if you leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps people find the show. Huge, huge help to us from the algorithm perspective. But for now, my friends, may you begin belonging by remembering that you belong to yourself. And from that belonging can flow the belonging to each other. From that belonging, we have the ground to provide more space to each other, to all of our beautiful differences, to all the wondrous diversity of gifts, because the wholeness comes in the we who come wholehearted. The wholeness comes as a we from the wholehearted in each of us. Grace and growth, my friends.